week three, I have a message. Well, last week, we saw that God was raising up a people that he wanted to be ready to war. That was the message, if you remember. It was ready to war. Ready to face an enemy that God decided to leave in the land. Why did God decide to leave the enemy in the land? Why hasn't God taken care of Satan? Why are we still dealing with all this stuff? I talked about last week how the reason why God has not destroyed the enemy yet, because if you read your scripture, you'll understand that God says, I knew you, meaning I was with you, I was in union with you before you were even born, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. So if he knew us, that means he loved us so much that he wanted to put us in our rightful place that he designed for us to have authority and for us to reign. Because of that, I imagine there's still many people that God had union with that he wanted to get on the earth. He knew you when he was dealing with Moses. And he said, I could destroy it now or I could allow you to be that redeeming thing so that every single thing that I have planned can still be accomplished. That's why we're still dealing with an enemy. Why won't God take care of him yet? God says, I'm going to lead the enemy among you to do one thing. I want to test your obedience, and I want to prove yourself so that you can be ready to war with the very thing that you need to war with to redeem this culture. I need warriors. I need people knowing how to fight. I don't need a bride of Christ. I don't, I don't need a church that's going to retreat every time the enemy attacks. I need you to prove yourself through your obedience as something as small as don't gossip. So when something comes against my people and against my nation, you will have been proven so much in spiritual warfare that I can depend on my people to redeem what needs to be redeemed. And no matter what scheme the enemy brings, you're ready to fight. Amen? Well, the people were in bondage for eight years because they had completely rebelled. And God raised up the first judge. Anybody remember his name? Othniel. Othniel. Othniel's raised, I know no one's going to remember these names. They're just weird. He raises up Othniel. And after Othniel uh, destroys the king that they were under, which was called a doubled wicked king, they got 40 years of peace. But then something happens. Othniel dies. And because they were totally dependent only on Othniel, the first thing they do after 40 years of peace is they rebel. They go right back into their old way. And it reminds me a lot of the church today because churches love to depend on one man called the pastor. And if the pastor don't raise up the people right and teach the people don't depend on me, but that you have the same God in you as the same God in me and you've got gifts in you and you've got purpose in you, then no matter if the pastor messes up or dies or is removed, you will not be moved. That's, that's, that's the people that God's looking for. Don't be moved by a man. Be moved by me. It's like that song. We want to move with God, move into God, be moved by God, and move the Father. Oh, we can move God, absolutely. Prove it to me. Okay, Hey, we need wine. Well, it's not time yet, but. Othniel dies, and they start rebelling again. They rebel, and when they were in eight years of bondage before, now they're in 18 years of bondage. 
And we talk about, we talk about a little bit how we tend to make allies with our enemy. We keep making allies because we like that automatic relief. We don't like praying into something because with prayer and meditation, it may take months for you to get peace. But if you can buy that one substance for however much it might cost, whether it be relief with a cigarette or a drink or a certain sight or a certain talk with a friend that you shouldn't be talking to, we tend to make these compromises. We feed off each other. And before you know it, you're in bondage all over again. When God says, if you would have just pressed into me, you would have had your release and it would have been sustained. But instead, you're wasting your resources, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your talk with gossip when you shouldn't be talking about my kingdom. You're wasting time. And I've got a plan for you. 18 years of bondage. And it says they started making all these allies with all the enemy, with all the, 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 the pagan tradition. And it's, it didn't say that they decided to turn from God, it says they forgot about him. And a lot of us are in 18 years of bondage or more, and you forgot about the power of your God. You forgot how to talk to him. You forgot how to live in him. And you don't even know how you got in your bondage. And some of your bondage don't look like bondage. I'm not going to do this a lot tonight because I've been harping on it for two weeks. But if you are still depending on horoscopes to give you peace for your day, you are in bondage. Because I don't know about you, but I depend on God. I depend on the Holy Spirit. I don't need a man-made concept of what stars happen to look like to tell me my future. I don't need a stone to give me peace when I have the one who is called the Prince of Peace who can deposit all the peace I need right into me without having to put my money or my time into anything else. They forgot about God. They're in 18 years of bondage. And I want to read the last two verses of last week so we can pick up. It says in verses 12 through 14, once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. The Lord gave King Eglon and Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies. And then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon and Moab for 18 years. 18 years of bondage because they did evil in God's sight, in the Lord's sight, in God's sight. And I had two scriptures when I was reading that that came up. Proverbs 15, 3. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. The Lord does not turn his head when you sin. But that's what we've been taught. No, 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 no. He, he keeps his eye on what's good and what's evil. He might not be blessing your lifestyle if you're living in sin, but he is well aware of what you're doing. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. Everything. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. And those scriptures can be in intimidating for a lot of people. God sees everything and he keeps his eyes on the evil and the good. 
Think about when Adam and Eve sinned. The first thing they did is they covered up and they tried to do what from God? Hide. And the first thing God said was not, what did you do? He said, where are you at? He was less focused on the fact that they ate something they shouldn't have and more focused on the fact that a minute ago you were walking with me in unity and now you're apart from me. Where are you? Why have you hidden yourself from the God who already knows that you ate from the forbidden fruit? It kind of makes you wonder what would happen if they were just came before God naked and exposed instead of trying to cover up something. Biggest cover up in history. <laughs> God says, I've seen what you've done. I know what you're doing. And that can be intimidating for a lot of people that God doesn't turn away even when you're doing bad or doing sin. But God watches. He takes note of everything. All, all is exposed. That should give you the biggest peace to come before him and say, here's my stuff. Because you're not surprising him. You're not giving him news that he wasn't aware of. But a lot of us try to give fake news like, like certain places on TV. We try to cover up before God and say, well, God, you know I did this, but you know my heart. He says, you, you dang it right, I know your heart. You've got some stones in there. I, he, I see it. It should give us the biggest confidence to do what God tells us. What does God say? Come before my throne boldly. Why can you come before him boldly? Because he says, I already know. So approach my throne with confidence and boldness, knowing that I've redeemed you, I've got you, and I love you. But sometimes we get so lost in what we've mixed with that we forgot about that. We forget that God already knows. We forget that God sees it. We even forget that God is there. And it's in those times, all God wants is one thing. Cry out to me. But what do we teach in the church? You got to get rid of your sin. You got to get your act together. You got to clean up. No, no, no. God says, cry out to me. I'll deal with the stuff. But before you focus on dealing with the stuff, you need to deal with the fact that you have no relationship anymore. Because we love to focus on the symptom that is called sin that separated us. But when it comes to understanding that it's all about relationship, for some reason, that's a lot harder to deal with. It's easy to try to get our sin under control. What is hard? Let me reestablish relationship with a God I don't see, with a God that sometimes I feel like I can't hear, with a God that sometimes I can't sense. I've got to reestablish connection and reestablish relationship so that out of that relationship, I get so in union with the Father, not just Jesus, the Father, that my sin life is taken care of because me dealing with the sin is a fruit of a relationship. When you are in love with someone, you'll do anything for them. And if we're so quick to cheat on God with our sins, it shows you the lack of relationship. Well, Kyle, I struggle with this. Well, that tells me that there's a lack in your relationship. And we all struggle. We've all been through stuff. And we try to defeat the thing, and we never get victory over it. Because your victory comes from what you identify yourself in. Do you identify yourself by the thing you're in? Or by the God who has redeemed you, has set you free and said, you are mine, I am yours, you are perfect, you are righteous, you are pure. 
Now walk like it. How? Get to know me. And that's exactly what the people do after 18 years of bondage. They don't know what to do. They have forgotten God. They have forgotten the things that they're supposed to be walking right in. They don't realize that they've intermingled and intermarried. They've forgotten everything. They're in so much sin. They are so deep. They don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. Because guess what? They didn't have a Bible to teach them. How do a people without this holy word understand what God wants? Because not everyone had access to the, the scrolls and the Ten Commandments. Not everyone heard all that. This was three generations removed from Moses. How did, how did they hear what God wanted? Cry out to me. Reconnect with me. Reestablish with me. And that's exactly what happens. Look at Judges 3.15. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera. Someone say Ehud. Uh, I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, but that's what we're going with tonight. A left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. The second judge of Israel is raised up because even though they got back in the cycle of rebellion, a simple crying out reestablished, I am your God. I'm right back here with you. I am walking in it with you. I'm back. You cried out to me, we're reestablished, let's get moving. Israel repeatedly drifted from God. And let's remember, God had every right to cast them away and destroy his people. Why? Jesus had not yet come. Their lives were not bought. Their sin, their debt of sin had not been paid for. Jesus had not yet come. They were not redeemed. They were not covered by the blood. But God still responded. Why? Because this is what we don't like to talk about in church. The Father loved you even before he sent his son. The reason he sent his son was because he loved you. For the Father so loved the world that he gave his son. But we preach this gospel that Jesus made it okay for the Father to look back at us. The Father said, no, 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 I, I, I've seen everything. I watched the good. I watched the evil. And I love my people even before I sent my word as a fleshly dwelling called Jesus. They repeatedly drifted. Even without Jesus, God said, I love you enough that even if you're in your cycle, all you got to do is cry out to me. I think the church has overcomplicated how good God is. And what we'll do is we'll go out to the streets and say, well, you need to get delivered. So come to this deliverance ministry where we take you through 45 decrees and 67 verses. And, and God's just like, can you just tell them to cry out? Can, can you just tell them I'm here? Can you tell them that I know their struggle? Because I've walked with them the entire time, even though they didn't realize I was walking. They think that I'm apart from them, but I love them. They just don't know me. We've been having prayer every Wednesday, and a word that about 15 people got Wednesday was one thing, that relentless is going to be known as a house of refuge. That people who have been burned and hurt, they're going to be able to come here and feel the love of God like they've never 
felt before, specifically people that have been burned by religion. But we walk in this thing where we forget about that love. I don't know about you, but even as a believer, sometimes I forget about that love. I forget about how good he is. There's a passage in Lamentations. We don't know the author for certain, but most people think it was the prophet Jeremiah. And in Lamentations 3, read these verses 17 through 20. I, I, I have felt this before. Throw it up there. Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. You ever felt like that? I don't know what it looks like to, not, to catch a break. I cry out, my splendor's gone. Everything I hope for the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and my homelessness, homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time I grieve over my loss. You ever been there? You've been walking in something so long, you don't know what peace looks like. You feel like you're forgotten. You feel like you have no home. You feel like everything has been stripped away, and you don't even know what it looks like anymore to prosper. And I'm not talking about millions of dollars and, and six-figure salaries. I'm, I, when I say prosper, I'm saying more than enough. I can walk into a trial and peace guides me because even though this con condition and the circumstance wants me to believe that I'm in hell, my God is the God of perfect peace and he rules my mind. King David said, even though I make my bed in Sheol, even though I, make my, I live my life in hell sometimes, he says, my God will meet me there. Not get me out of hell to meet God. God will walk into hell to get you. Matter of fact, Jesus did that very thing. I do not believe he was sleeping for three days. He walked right into the pits of Sheol and said, no more. I'm paying the debt. And then he busted out of that thing and said, my resurrection from the death hell, and the grave. Now, if my people believe, they resurrected too. Is this okay? I imagine this is what the Israelites are feeling. 18 years of bondage. Everything God gave us is gone. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what peace looks like. We don't know how to walk. We don't know how to carry ourselves. But look at what the writer of Lamentations writes next in verse 21. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never, never, never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who, who, what? Depend on him. He's good to those who search him. We're in verse 25, by the way. Stop talking and start following. Thank you. Love y'all. I have a good relationship. I can bust him out. The Lord is good to those who depend on him. He's good to those who search for him. His mercies are new every morning. And if we depend on him and we search for him, all of his goodness and his mercy and newness is always available no matter what's been stripped away and no matter what bed you've been laying in and walking in. So the Israelites, they cry out. And God answers the Israelites because of what? My mercies are new 
every morning. Even though you haven't been walking in anything I have for 18 years. Your lack of dependence has not changed the fact that my mercy is available. And we need to remember that. Because some of us beat ourselves up so much about what we've gone through or what we struggle in. And God's like, my mercies are new. That doesn't mean you get a green card every day, so keep sinning. My mercies are new and available for you to walk out of what you're walking in. And let's get back on track. My mercies are new. So he raises up Ehud. And it tells us that Ehud is a left-handed man. Anybody left-handed in here? Hey, y'all just weird. No, <laughs> left-handed. Left-handed man. Well, in this time, left-handed people were often forced to become right-handed because they regarded it as a physical defect. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a science, like, I, I, I mean, I don't like to say this a lot because I try to not look like a nerd, but I love science. And what's little known is that the left-handed gene is actually the most dominant gene, just most people don't carry it. They, he was left-handed. They looked at it as a defect. And when they looked at left-handed people as a defect, they said, well, they pose no threat. They weird. They peculiar. They look different, therefore they must not be right. Isn't it amazing when we see different, we immediately question integrity and potential? I mean... Think, think, think about the church. You go into a church, and if you're dressed a certain way, and you're cleaned up, and you're quiet during worship, and you pay your tithes, the pastor says, you've got so much potential. But then someone walks in that looked like they just walked off the streets, but you don't realize they've got more relationship with God because of their dependence on him than someone who has been spoiled by the American dream that is now falling down, we immediately overlook them because we say they don't have their stuff together. We look at the defect. We look at the shortcoming. We look at some of the crazy praise, and I even saw it tonight with some of y'all people up here dancing around, twirling, and you're just like... When we have scripture that talks about dancing like David danced, he was so lost in the wonder of God that he danced like a complete maniac. But we are so bound up by what is proper in the church that we can't get lost in the dance. Well, I can worship how I want to. You can't tell me how to worship. Actually, yes, I can. Well, how dare you? Well, the Bible's pretty clear about it. Give him a loud praise. But what we do, well, I, this is just how I worship. That's because your God is not that much of reality yet to you. Well, Kyle, I can't believe you said that. That's half the people in this room. Well, wait the flip up. That's right. Amen. I can't, that offends me. Good, that's called conviction. I'm sorry, y'all. If I'm, I mean, I'm not, but it is what it is. 
We look at weird and we're like, ah, it's, that doesn't seem right. That's not proper, but it's not up there. But in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and the King James, it says, a peculiar people. The way, When people see you, they should mark who owns you by the fact that you look different. By your lifestyle, by your walk, by your response to a God that is just big enough and worthy of a crazy, stupid, maniac kind of praise. Well, you can't say that. You can't judge me. I like to just worship like this. That's what the church has done for the past 2,000 years, and look where it's gotten us. It's time to change something. Definition of insanity. What, what is it doing to... The same thing over and over and getting no results. The church. I, I don't want to be known as a, oh, that's, a, that's, that's another good church and they, they do church good. I want to be known as, oh, you go to Relentless? <laughs> I mean, you should see the stuff I'm starting to get. I'm being a little bit more bolder in my preaching lately. Most people are like messing with me saying, I, I, I love the rawness and boldness. And you know what it's causing? People to question everything I say. I get messages all the time. As a pastor, as a shepherd of the house, you really need to watch what you say on Facebook. How dare you say sin is the symptom and identity is the issue? Sin separates. Yeah, I get it. But we sin because of the identity issue. People are starting to like, when they hear relentless, they just think, oh, that guy. Y'all don't live stream during COVID? You need to get with the times. The, the times ain't working. I'm trying to get back to what it used to look like when they hid themselves in the upper room and hiding themselves changed the entire nation. I don't think it's coincidence that God put us in a place that is literally hidden from sight. I remember, like, the first time I was bringing people to this facility last year, like, th th they were like, are these directions right? It says, make a U-turn at the liquor store and, and, ta and, and take a right into a glass place <laughs> behind a, a pawn shop and a Dollar General. That don't exactly attract millionaires. But that's what happened in the early church. They just, they hid themselves in the upper room. And they just, they had to depend on seeking. And it overwhelmed them. And we're still talking about what happened that day. Well, Israel is in this place where they're serving this king, Eglon of Moab. And they had to bring some tribute money to the oppressor taxes just kidding they were under the dominion y'all gotta get used to me they were under the dominion of King Moab and it says they had to bring tribute money to him so when God raised up Ehud they said you take the money you take the tribute now, this king, Eglon, Eglon had a meaning. It, it meant little calf, little calf. And I read this verse last week, but I want to read it again, knowing that this new king of 18 years of oppression, his name means little 
little calf. Let's read Ezekiel 34, 16. God says, I will search for my lost ones who strayed away. I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured. I'll strengthen the weak. Sounds like a place of refuge, don't it? But I will destroy those who are what? Fat and powerful. I will feed them. Yeah, I'll feed them justice. I, I love the fact that God's sarcastic. Eglon's reigned for 18 years, and he started out as what was known as little calf. But 18 years can get into a man's head, and you start out little and meager, but then you become a glutton for anything that you want. You become consumed with yourself, consumed with pride, and consumed with self-worship. Happens in the church, happens in the job force. We get so consumed with ourselves this is due me. This is owed me. And because we have this, uh, this mentality of what I'm owed and what I've done and what I've achieved, even though God says I've given you things that you have not built, I've given you land that you did not deserve, even though God says please give me the credit, we get into this look what I've done, look what I've done, look what I have worked for, me, 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 me. Well, look what happens in Judges uh, 3, verses 16 through 17. Ehud makes a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long. He strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute to Eglon, who was very fat. He wasn't no longer no little calf. He was a fattened calf. And what happens to fat calves? They are ready for the slaughter. God says, I will destroy those who are fat and powerful, consumed with themselves, ready for the slaughter because there's no more room for me. Because when you get full, you can't. Some, you, we go to Mexican on Saturday nights, and I'll order, you know, the, 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 the rice and the steak and the peppers, but after about four baskets of those chips, Y'all know what I'm talking about. I can't get anything else into this very large container. I just can't do it. And God says, for those of you that have no room for me, I'll take care of that. And there are many times we get consumed by success, and God says, if I have to take everything away to get you to recognize me, I will do it because I love you just that much. And fat looks different. Look at Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray publicly on the street corners. They love to pray in the synagogues. They love to get on the mic and pray in the church so that everyone can see them. Oh, they're powerful. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward that they will ever get. They get fat on their spirituality. I have this gift. I had this ability. Look at my prayers. Look at my preach. Look at this. Look, I'm a great prophet. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. We get fat. Malachi 4.1. Malachi. The Lord of heaven's army says the day of judgment's coming, burning like a furnace. One day the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will become consumed, root, branches, and all. Everything you're planted in and everything that's grown from you will be consumed because of your arrogance and your pride. 
Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before the destruction, haughtiness before a fall. Isn't it incredible? God warns us about anything that will cause us to fall, but we still get fat. You cannot get fat on yourself. It makes you ready for a fall. And this is where the king of Moab's at. 18 years. Can you imagine? Yeah, these Israelites, they're supposed to conquer my people. They ain't got nothing on me. So Ehud, it says he makes a double-edged dagger, about a foot long, strapped it to his right thigh, and he kept it what? Hidden. Double edges means it can cut in two directions. That sword was going to deliver a message and destroy the aggressor. And I know, what, I know you probably know what I'm about to read. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. And a two-edged sword cuts two ways. He says, it will cut between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow, and it will expose your innermost thoughts and desires. And when we get fat and all that we want, instead of feasting on what God wants, God says, I'm going to deliver a message. And my word is sharper than anything you could ever imagine. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. My word is going to make a cut between your spirit and your soul, and it's going to expose everything in you. What does it mean he's going to cut between the spirit and the soul? He says, I'm going to bring a message to you, and it's going to make, it's going to make a cut. And you're going to see what the spirit of God is and where your soul is at. What is your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions? If I pierce you with my word, does your heart, is it on the side of the spirit or has it been divided? What consumes your thought life? Is it my word? Is it my truth? Or is it I'm not enough? I'm not, I can't do it. I'll never go forward. I messed up too much. He says, I will bring a message that will divide your heart, your mind, your will, and your emotions from the truth that is the spirit living within you. And in doing that, all of the stuff inside of you, because of that cut, is going to be exposed for one purpose, bringing you back to him. Not to hurt you, not to destroy you, but to get you in the best place you could be and the identity of the Father. About to sneeze. Thank you. So look what happens in verse 18 through 19. After delivering the payment, what was the payment? It wasn't the sword. It was the tribute money. Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. Must have been a lot of tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon and said, hey, I got a secret message for you. What kind of message? Hmm. Where, what, what, where was this, the dagger? The two, it was hidden. So the king commanded his servants, be quiet, and he sent them out of the room. God let Ehud, he led Ehud to deliver a message. What was the message? He was about to cut Eglon. 
Read that again. Hey, King, I got a message for you. Knowing that he was about, he was about to cut him. About to stab him with a two-edged sword. Which would cut off the wrong spirit of the land to restore the people and expose wickedness. And all God was waiting on to take care of this fat, arrogant, bondage-placing king was the people of God to say, Lord, we need you. And then someone God saw was worthy to deliver the message. And I believe that this world is ready for something, and God is saying, who will be the ones to bring the message? Who are the ones who are bold enough to walk right into the enemy's face and stop retreating and going back and say, I've got a message for you. Zechariah 2.8 says this, for, the Lord's, for, for thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. God says, my people are the apple of my eye. They're my everything. They're what I, 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 I love them so much. I created them. They're my people. And I want my people to deliver a message to the enemy. And here's the message. You can't have my people. But I need a messenger to lead the people. Didn't say God raised up Israel. God had to raise up a judge to lead Israel in because they didn't know how to enter back. And this nation is this world, not just the nation. Can we get off of America for a second? It's not just America. I believe America has become an idol for most Americans. We think that we are better than Jerusalem and, and places in Africa and Pakistan and hate. That we are the greatest nation in the world. That's that's haughtiness. Because God says, "Go disciple all nations, not just the one with the resources." See, y'all don't like that. He, that's why we're called to be a multicultural body. Many nations represented. It's not just about America. Problem is, we got the most resources and we use them for everything but God. Where we're at is God's like, I need, I need a people, I need a messenger to lead everyone else into taking back what the enemy has stolen. But the messengers I've got, they're leading the people by saying, come to our church and sit in safety. And learn the word, but don't learn how to do anything with it. We've put more focus on coming together for worship nights and worship conferences and all this stuff. When God says, I'm not against those things. But the point of you getting the word. The point of you getting the dream. The point of you getting the prophecy. The point of entering into my presence. Is so that you can be the people to lead everyone else right back in to what you're not living in anymore. And that is in my presence. A people without. that A people that have no need. But no one will take the people in because we're building churches which are actually just safety shelters. 
but we're supposed to go right into the territory that's not safe because our God walks with us. Across the street. Hmm. Now, does it make sense? Ehud walks in and says, hey, I got a secret message for you. Now, you sh- now remember, this is the king, Moab, of the people oppressing the Israelites. You know what that makes the Israelites to the king? His enemy. And usually, if the enemy comes in and says, I got a secret message for you, you don't exactly say, yeah, come on in, man. You usually get some guards because you're going to be questioning the intention. Why did the king allow Ehud in? He was left-handed. And left-handed people didn't pose a threat because peculiar people ain't powerful. Look at verse 20 and 21. So Ehud walks over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room. I love this. Hidden dagger, secret message, in an upper room. (laughs) And Ehud said, I've got a message from God for you. And as King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Now we can read this this casually, but look at it. He was able to reach and get a hidden dagger because he posed no threat as a left-handed man. It was an unexpected strike. No one was expecting him to be a great warrior. No one was expecting him to have anything that he, because you didn't get weapons if you were left-handed. You you didn't lead battles if you were left-handed because you had a defect. No one was expecting that, and no one is expecting the church to have a message that this world needs. You want to know why I know that they're not expecting it? Because the government thinks they can close us down. And we're going, to, we're going to enter into the day when our resources are pulled and they think that all we depend on is resources because quite frankly, that's what most churches do depend on. They're not expecting a strike from a weak, peculiar people called the people of God. Do you realize, just like Ahud, we have the biggest advantage to bring the message that the God has been wanting to deliver to the enemy? You can't have my people. But we have not entered into our peculiar identity. We can't get lost in a dance like David dance. We can't get lost in who we are in the Father. So we put on this, you know, the the Sunday best, clothes you don't wear but only on Sundays. And if I preach too long, God forbid because you have plans. When you don't realize it's not even me who's talking. I listen to my message on Monday and I think to myself, where the heck did that come from? 
Do you realize you're not... I say this in absolute humility. You're not getting fluffed up to feel good. He is depositing through this leader a message of how to go make the unexpected strike. And you're worried about your day-to-day routine? That's why we're failing. That's why people are lost. Because you're more consumed with you than let's get together in the house and get the mandate and walk right into the land with the message that no one else wants to bring. And right now, the church ain't posing a threat to the enemy. But I believe God's saying this is the perfect time for an unexpected strike. But if we look even deeper, I think there's even something even more powerful in 18 and 19. I want to read it again. Remember when Ehud brought the tribute money? Look at 18 and 19. It says, after delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when he reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. And after he turned back, he came to Eglon and said, I've got a message for you. And that's when the king says, be quiet, and gave him his time. He delivered the tribute and then started to go back home. What if the two-edged sword, he didn't know that it was going to be the thing to destroy the enemy, He was carrying the word for protection. He was carrying the sword to protect himself from enemies that may try to steal the money on the way, from the guards of the king who may try to take them out because they are, in fact, the enemy. What if the two-edged sword Ehud carried was actually for protection, but then it says when he walked by those stones, something stirred in him. Something made him go, I've got a message for you. Because when Ehud saw this, do you know what those stones were? King Moab had set up the stones to mock the Israelites. Of Joshua setting up the stones. Of Joshua making stones as a witness to the people, the covenant of God. King Moab was mocking the stones, that the 12 stones that Joshua set up to, to remember the tribes and remember God's promises. And the King Moab had put these things that were mocking the people of God. That were making a joke of the people of God. And when Ehud walked by it and he saw that thing, when he, he started going home, I did my assignment, I did my work, and then when he saw those stones, he was like, I can either walk past this mockery of God like everyone else has, or because I'm already prepared with the word, with the sword, I've got a message for you. And a lot of us were in two places. Some of us don't have the word. So when you walk by things that mock God, you're not prepared for anything. And when it stirs you, you're really good at talking about what makes you sick, but you don't do nothing with it. And there's other people 
that have the word in their soul, strapped to well, walking with the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And when we see things that mock God, we stay silent. You know why God raised this left-handed peculiar man up? He was so lost in his identity with God that when he walked by something that mocked God, he was not going to let it go unnoticed. He wasn't going to let it stand. And he turned around and he said, I've got a message for those that mock my God. And there has got to be a time where we no longer make excuse or allies with the idols of our culture and the people rise up and say, I have a message. We're not going to be okay that churches in Savannah are marrying homosexuals and then call it peace because we don't say anything about it. We're not going to be okay with Christians mocking leaders in our government. Because my Bible says honor all authority. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican, honor, honor. We're not, we're not going to be okay with people wandering down the grace message. We're not going to be okay with building beautiful synagogues with empty people, literally or physically. It, it, we're not going to be okay with coming to church and singing songs and playing instruments and, and preaching the word and, and coming to prayer and then nothing about your life looks like the word that you claim to carry. We're not going to be okay with this mockery anymore. We're actually going to get lost in our identity and say, huh, we've got a message for this land. You know what, you know what I think part of the message needs to, needs to be? You worship the flag more than your God. You worship your right as a citizen in a free country instead of embracing the idea that I don't, I, I don't want to have any more rights because I'm going to sacrifice them to walk with my father who is a king in a kingdom, and in a kingdom I don't get a vote. But what do we do as people? Well, people have the right. Yes, but it should be the right to surrender all rights. Well, I'm going to follow my heart. God says, I want to change those desires of your heart. Well, I just think about this all day long. Well, I want to change the way you think. Well, I have a dream. God says, I got one too, and yours don't line up with mine. Surrender all. I surrender. No, I'm not going there. People need to rise up and say, I've got a message. We can't keep standing for this fake. We can't stand for this hypocrisy of people who, are, who claim they worship God, but they have no power in their lives. No, no, we, we are going to take the two-edged sword, and we're going to divide the spirit and the soul. We're going to put our soul under the alignment of our spirit, and it's okay if things get exposed, because if my innermost thoughts and desires are exposed, then I can say, God, you've seen it anyway. Now they're exposed. Please change them. But... We can't ask God to change something that's not exposed. And some of us wait for the exposure of people doing it when some of the exposure is just, I actually spent time with God on my Monday evening that wasn't a church event, that wasn't a small group, that wasn't a program thing. I actually spent time with God and had the most powerful word in my living room while my TV was actually turned off. But I won't listen to him because I've got to get this Facebook post up. Yeah. 
I can tell by some of your Facebook posts that you have not let God renew your mind. <laughs> that was horrible. Look at Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go and make disciples of all the nations. All of them, not just America, all of them. All the Republicans, the Democrats, the liberal, the liberals, the conservatives, the I don't knows, the the, the 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 millennial generation, the younger generation who they don't know what's what, so they have an opinion about everything, but they haven't had any sort of life to form their opinion. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not in the name of Mary, not in the name of Buddha, not in the name of America. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. You, you, you cannot imagine how many teenagers in church believe that their friends have the right to choose their gender, their orientation, what they believe. Well, my best friend, um, they're Jewish and they don't believe in the Messiah and I respect that. Why do you respect that? Love them enough to say, I've got a message. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Why does he say that? Because he knows, I know you're going to lose a lot by delivering a message. Disciple all the nations, tell them to turn to me. I love them enough. Teach them and bring them the message. And that message is going to cut between spirit and soul, and it's going to expose stuff. This king, Eglon, he was okay to receive the message because it was coming from someone that he saw as a defect. He, he, he allowed them to speak because of a defect in his left hand. And this may be a reach. I'm not saying that this is what the passage is saying, but this was in my spirit in Matthew 6, 3 through 4. It says, when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Give your gifts in private, secret, hidden. And your father who sees everything will reward you. But we've made blessing people into testimonies, which is actually just you bragging about what you did. We will, be, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's the testimony of your changed life, not how many people you bless with your fruit. I say, let the people who are blessed pose the testimony of what they got that they did not deserve. And when you bring the secret gift, the secret message, keep it hidden and God will reward you. But that's, that's too much for some people. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing to talk about the testimony of I gave, but why do we have to label it? Why do we have to look at me? I'm a super Christian. Ehud wasn't seeking fame. He was simply following orders. He says, let me talk to you, king. I've got a secret message for you. He didn't seek a platform and call a call from God. 
He just wanted to be used. And God uses the secret places, and he rewards your obedience in the secret place. But a lot of us don't have secret places anymore. The only secret places we have are the ones we don't want exposed. Look what happens in verse 22. He stabs the king and it says, The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. <laughs> I cut deep. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger. Of course not. He got lost. He couldn't see it. And it says, And the, king, it says, and the king's bowels empty. What does a two-edged sword do? It says it cuts. And it exposes. You know the King James Version doesn't say his bowels were removed. It says the dirt came out. The dirtiness in him was exposed. And some of us, if we would get the word of God attached to us and get it in us, let the word of God pierce the very depths of our soul, it would expose all the dirtiness that needs to come out. It will make a hard cut between the mind, the will, and emotions, and the soul and cause you to lean in. And it will be with you and a part of you, and you'll be ready to pierce and deliver a message whenever you walk by stones that are mocking God. Where you can boldly declare, I've got a message. And you know what? Sometimes, I don't know why God just put this in me, but sometimes the message is, I forgive you. And that in itself is going to cut you as well as them. Two-edged. Sometimes the, the dagger going in is let me bless you even though I need a blessing. I don't know. what the, the message isn't always just we have authority over the enemy. Jesus says don't boast in your authority of the enemy. But that's what we sing about. I have the authority. Now, we sang that song earlier, but do you recognize your authority or do we boast in it? Think about the modern church. You've got authority of the enemy. You got victory. We got victory. We got victory. No, he has it. And he has given us the authority to walk in something that we did not deserve. So I will deliver that message without seeking anything because I'm keeping it secret. I'm keeping it hidden. Hidden weapon, secret message, upper room. Verse 23. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the, the, the latrine. He went down the poop chute, literally. There was a hole in the floor and he went down the plumbing. Do I, is it just too... Rated R. <laughs> After Ehub was gone, the king's servants returned and found the, da- the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought, he must be using the bathroom. Look, he must be using the latrine in the room. So they waited. But when the king didn't come out for a long delay, he's in the bathroom for a long time, guys. They became concerned. They got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. And while the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sarah. (laughs) 
you ain't got no authority, do you, stones? I delivered the message. The enemy was destroyed. Ehud was kept safe and secure in his exit. Because God will keep you safe when you walk in him. Now here's what's interesting. Look what happens in verse 27. When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me. For the Lord has given you victory over, the, over Moab, your enemy. You notice he didn't say, I killed the king. What did he give honor to? The Lord gave you victory. Follow me. I would imagine if a left-handed nobody said, I killed the king, they would have probably been like, yeah, you and what army? But when they said, you know that God you just cried out to after 18 years of bondage? He just delivered us. Let's go. When they heard that word, the people rose up. So they followed him, and the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of not just any of their warriors, but their strongest and most able body warriors. Not one of them escaped, so Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. Ehud didn't boast, say, I killed the king. He says, God gave you victory, so follow me. Let's go back and take back what we gave up. He asked them, Ehud said, let me take you to a place I've already been. Why is it that Jesus can take us into heavenly places? Because he went into the place of death, hell, and the grave and conquered it and resurrected and he says, the way you can take back your death, hell, and grave is follow me because I've already been where I want to take you. Out of the place. Ehud says, hey, I went there. God gave, God gave you victory. Follow me. Follow me into the place I've already been to. If you're going to lead people, you've got to go to that place before you lead them into it. Fathers, you cannot lead your home to God if you are not with him first. Husbands, you cannot take your relationship to the next level where your relationship with him has not gone. Pastor, you can't take the people into a greater degree of victory if you haven't taken yourself into a greater degree of victory. You cannot lead people into a place where you have not gone first. He went in first, did what God told him to do with the two-edged sword. It cut, it exposed, truth was given, victory was won, and then he went back and said, follow. That's what God is waiting on with the church. Can y'all go to a place where no one else knows how to enter into? And then once you go there and learn how to walk in it, Say, now we're going to make disciples of all you and take you to a place we've already been. Well, why do we have the fivefold ministry of apostle and prophet? Because the apostle goes to a place where the people haven't been and then leads them into that place because he's already been into the place where no one has yet gone. It's called pioneering. 
Why was Disney, Apple created? They went to a place and figured out something that no one else had and then said, let me get a crew of people to make it happen. And the apostolic spirit is not limited to someone with the gift and the apostle. The entire church has an apostolic spirit. Why? We're called to go into places no one else has gone and deliver a message that no one else has heard. But where is that church? They conquered the Moabites, killing their strongest warriors. And they got 80 years of peace. The first time they were in eight years of bondage, got 40 years of peace. Now after 18 years of bondage, they get 80 years of peace, which ended up being the longest period of freedom in the 400 years in Judges. They got a double portion. All because someone said, I've got a message. And it's a secret message. And I'm going to deliver it in a secret place where no one can see. And then once I get victory, I'm not going to tell anyone that I'm the one who did it. Where's that church? Amen. Because we love to look what we did. Just being real with you, we got a very large donation this year, and we tithed off of it. A lot of money. And we've already given it out. Have y'all heard about it yet? Keep it hidden. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago. They're in this room. They're talking to their coworker about what's going on in this house. And for those of you don't, that don't know, I, I, I work a job that's very minimal, but I basically pick up other people's trash for two hours a day. So it, it stinks. That's stupid. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they were talking to their coworker about how, like, we're debt-free and that we're filling up Saturday and Sunday and that, like, there's no, like, we're not intentionally trying to social distance or anything. If people wear a mask, we honor that. If people don't want to hug, we honor that. And then we say we've had no case of COVID with 100 people every weekend. And then the coworker was like, well, my pastor lives in that community that your pastor picks up trash. And they're begging their people for money, and their doors are closed. And he said, so let me just, let me just get this straight. Your church is debt-free, and your pastor's picking up my pastor's trash. Y'all ain't got COVID, and y'all increasing? And my church... That your pastor picks up my pastor's trash, we won't open the doors, and they're begging us for money. And then he said, I think I need to come check y'all out. <laughs> and you want to know what? I don't, I don't go around that neighborhood telling people what I do. Let's be honest. When you see a man picking up trash, all you think is he's a person picking up trash. I, 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 don't, I don't put a, a bumper sticker on my cart that says pastor driving 
you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't stop when the, the, the runners and the, the walkers who, like you can tell the people who are committed and the people who just started. They'll stop me and they'll say, hey, I just want you to thank you so much for keeping our neighborhood clean. And that's it. And I don't take the time to say, well, I'm the pastor of Relentless Church. Why don't you come since I'm serving your needs? No, 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 no. It's a secret. Because I know that God will reward. We, uh, I won't tell you where or when because I don't want this to be boastful. I'm just trying to give you a, a picture. I had a lunch meeting this week with someone at a restaurant, and the waitress was went over and beyond. I mean, just made sure our glasses were full, made sure we had everything we needed. Um, even like, hey, um, my veterinarian just called, um, and uh, I've got to go take a call. Would you mind if I went away for five minutes? And I was like, wow. And then she was talking about all this need. So we blessed her the amount that the entire meal cost. Three of us eating. I don't, I left. I don't know what she said. I didn't see the smile on her face. Because I didn't get, do it. We didn't do it for our affirmation. But I knew when the Holy Spirit, Spirit said do it, it met a need. And I didn't need to stick around to get the glory for it. Because I guarantee when we exited that place, I, I, I know she must have said, thank you, God. Where are those people? The not exalt myself people. The all glory to God people. Now, in the rest of chapter 3, it's only one birth. Don't freak out. It talks about the third, ju- the third judge. And there's only one verse about the third judge. Only one. We never hear anything about him. Look at verse 31. Well, as you know that people die, Ehud died. After Ehud, Shamgar, son of Anath, rescued Israel. He once killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. End of the chapter. That's all we ever hear, hear about the judge. Shamgar. All we know is that God raised him up and he once killed 600 warriors with an ox goad. What is an ox goad? It was a stick that was about eight feet long and it had two ends. One was for poking ox and one was for scraping dirt off the plow. All we know is that he led the people because they obviously rebelled again if they needed a judge. And then he led them into deliverance not with a beautiful two-edged sword this time. Not with chariots. Not with a great word or anything. We don't know anything. We just know that all he had was a stick. Because God can use whatever you have to accomplish his will. Whether it be a left-handed swordsman, a man with a stick, which we've seen him do crazy stuff with sticks in the Bible, But you know what we do as a people? I don't have the resources. I don't have the talent. I don't have the right words. I don't, God says, if you'll just cry out to me and seek me, I'll use 
whatever you got. I'll use whatever you do. You don't need an ordination card from a man-made government. I want to get ordained. You were. You're worthy of the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of God. Your ordination has already come. But what will you do with it? Will you be around the people that stir up the gift inside of you? Say, you know what? All I've got is this truck, this delivery van. All I've got is this stick. All I've got is this trash picker-upper. Or all I've got is a building on Saturday nights. Or all I've got is the home with my kids. God says, whatever you got, I'll use it. All he wants is people to be able to say, I have a message. Let's become that people. Can someone just say that I have a message? I have a message. He's calling us to higher and greater things. It's a new year. New glories. Glory to glory. Level to level. And he says, I don't need you to be at a great level. I just need you to be willing and faithful and serve me and seek me and cry out to me. Amen. He loves you. He loves us. Let's be the left-handed, peculiar people that this world needs. Amen.